1: Hello everybody, welcome to another episode as usual. I am just so excited for today's guest. I think we're gonna have a pretty lively conversation around innovation and being an everyday innovator. I wanted to preface with something that kind of, I I heard something else this morning that made me think of this. And, you know, there's been a lot of conversation about AI, about technology taking over our jobs, about, you know, kind of what do we, or what's our role as humans now that technology is doing so much of it. And I scribbled down three words that I just want to bring to everybody, just as a reminder to all of us out there, how important our role is. It might need to adjust. It might need to elevate, I would say, but it's still an important role. So the three words are empathy, creativity, and spontaneity. Those are three things that we can bring to the table that really, if you think about those things and bundle them together, that's your ability to be an innovator, right? Empathy is all about understanding, seeking to understand connection. Creativity is really about thinking differently. And then spontaneity for me isn't just about like, oh, let's go away for the weekend. It's about like spontaneously connecting things that maybe you didn't see before or being willing to kind of on the spot, think about a solution or kind of be quick about something. So if you're out there thinking, oh my gosh, tomorrow I'm in this job, but technology is taking over it. I want you to think about those three words and how maybe if you applied more of that to your work, to your life, that you would find that place of incredible value. Okay, speaking of value, let's get on to Robin and our incredible interview today. So speaking of innovator, Robin is an inquisitive instinctual. So the inquisitive side is all about asking questions, pulling back the layers of the onion, digging deep, challenging assumptions. Um, Inquisitives are, for them, it's like innovations in the questions, not the answers. So they're really good at not just staying on the surface, but really going deep and uncovering new things. And then the instinctual side is all about a more circuitous thought pattern. So while the rest of us may be A to B to C to D, instinctuals tend to be A to X to Y back to A over to L. But because of that, instinctuals have this incredible ability to pull the insights, the patterns out of the information. They see how things connect where we may not see it. So the combination, the magic and inquisitive instinctual is deep connective innovation. So with that said, I'm very much looking forward to this interview. Robin, welcome to the show. Tell the world a little bit about who you are and the world that you're in. Thank you
2: so much, Tamara. It The instinctive, uh, inquisitive, or the inquisitive, instinctual, either way, both eyes, um, when I got those results, I got that time of, like, it, it felt like the clouds part. like, uh, yes, that that is what I've been doing. And that's, you know, um, that's very much it. kind of where I live and what I do. So I just, I absolutely love that. Um, so my name is Robin Bolton, and I am the founder and chief navigator at Mile Zero, which is an innovation consultancy that works with companies that struggle with innovation to help them really create a repeatable, reliable innovation process. So it's really about empowering those everyday innovators. Um, but that's just what I do now. My, I've spent my whole career, I think by sheer luck and maybe force of will, in innovation. And so I actually started my career straight out of undergrad at Procter and Gamble, mm-hmm. and was super lucky to work on the team that developed and launched Swiffer and Swiffer Dad. So I spent the formative years of my career, you kind know, of being uh, a corporate innovator, being an everyday innovator, trying to make something new happen within P and G. And you know, once I had that experience, it was it was so magical. It was so interesting. It was so tough to be clear it was tough um but it was fun and that just kind of launched me down the path of you know getting my mba going to work at boston consulting group spending about 9 years at clay christensen's firm um really getting deep into innovation that kind of inquisitive
1: side of me and now in my own firm so robin i want to ask you a couple questions about things you said because i think they're are- I can imagine if I'm listening to this, I when well, I am, I my eyes got wide thinking, oh, I, I bet that's me. I, I bet I'm dealing with that. So the first thing is you said you deal with companies that struggle with innovation and you've been in it, right? You've been in a big company that has struggled and done well, and you now have clients that struggle. If you were to define, like, here are the top three signs of struggle. And I say signs because I don't know that we always realize we're struggling until someone points it out to us, or we don't get the results, which is almost too late. So what are the top three signs of struggle around driving innovation for yourself and your team? That's a great question. And you're right, it kind of
2: all sums up in if you're not getting the results, you're struggling, but that's yeah. almost too late. Uh, I would say, and, and this is so much reflecting on my experience at P&G, is, you know, one, are the leaders engaged in innovation? Mm-hmm. Not you know, kind of sitting back at the conference room table, like listening to your presentation with you know the furrowed brow, and be like, mm, "Do you have data for that?" But like in it, like they are out on the yeah. road with you; they are involved. So if they're they're leaning back, that's a warning sign. Um, another uh, another thing that I would say is if you're having a lot of innovation events, but nothing happens after. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the most common problems that I see is the companies will, like, we're going to have a hackathon. We're going to have a shark tank. We're going to have an innovation challenge. And yeah. it's great. Everyone gets excited. And then wah, wah, nothing happens. And that's, again, that goes goes back to results. And the last thing is, honestly, if if you don't have a strategy for innovation, if you can't very clearly say... We're innovating and it ties to our strategy in this way and it supports our corporate goals in this way. Innovation is a hobby.
1: I want to back up real quick to that first one about leadership and you did a beautiful visual <laughs> of it like right they are leaning back. They're like looking for reasons to shoot it down. And I think the challenge oftentimes is uh, those same leaders are the ones who say we need innovation, go be innovative. But then on the back end, right? They're really looking for things to shut down. How do you, if if you are that person underneath, right, you're the one responsible for innovation, but you're not the leader, you're not that decision maker at the table. What is your advice for overcoming that challenge?
2: Yeah. Yeah, it is a challenge. So first thing I do is, is start with the question of what do you need to see to say yes? That way at the very beginning,
1: you know, we know what we're shooting for.
2: Oh, you're and, saying like
1: before the idea, even like, we're going to yeah. start this project. What does it need to include? Yep. You want to yeah. stand up an innovation team? What do you need to say? Yes. Mm-hmm.
2: What do you need to Love see that. to in, you know invest a million dollars in it and get them engaged in thinking kind of on a positive way versus that lean back? You know, I'm going to say no to everything. <laughs> that's, that's the first thing. The second thing is I will drag them out into the field. When we're talking to consumers, when we're prototyping stuff, like you're coming in the field with us and it's just a day, maybe half a day, maybe only an hour, but you have to be in it with us.
1: So I think what you just said, Robin, for all of us, I just want to pause on it because I think it's really powerful advice about, ask that question. That's the inquisitive side of you. I love it. Ask that question in the beginning of like, what does this need to include to to be a win for you? Or what does it need to, to have to be a yes for you? Whatever the right kind of way to phrase that is. But to say that at the very beginning, before you start anything, whether that is a one-day project, a big innovation you know skunk work thing or wh- whatever it is you're doing in work and life. I think even if you're an entrepreneur and you're trying to get customers to buy into your product or get investors, asking that on the front end tells you exactly what you need to know and gets them engaged and puts them, I think to your point, in the positive mindset. And I think one of the mistakes we make is I was talking about as a one-way tennis match in innovation, particularly when it came to, I used to do a lot of new product development and it was like, we'd come up with all these brilliant ideas and then we'd like hit them over the net and the brand team is like duck and weave, like we want nothing to do with it. <laughs> but the reality is, is because we didn't include them in the very beginning to understand what they need for this to work. And and then we forget, right? They have their own pressures, their own challenges, and we're not we're not understanding that in the beginning. So I love that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And so important. I remember a conversation I had years ago with the CEO where I said, okay, you know, what do you need to see from the team?" And the response was we need a $250 million revenue business in two years at scale. And I just looked at them like, if I could do that, I would not be sitting here. I, (laughs) I would be doing that. Right. And so it just helped right at the start to, you know, get that expectation out there and Figure out, like, does this even make sense to move forward, or can we adjust the expectations so that it does make sense?
1: Well, and don't you find, too, kind of your comment about expectations, that we also apply the wrong metrics to new ideas. So, you know, we'll take the metrics of something that's been around for 30 years and is wildly successful, and we think that this new idea should have the same metrics as that, so then it fails, but it's, it didn't really fail. The metrics right. failed it. Yes. Yes. That, that happened. It's funny.
2: um, Actually early days of Swiffer where we were getting together the launch recommendations. Okay. This needs to pay out in three years. We're like, how are you calculating that payout? Is it all of the like R and D and the sunk costs and all that. And in three years we're launching a new category and it just seemed again to be this complete mismatch of expectations and metrics versus
1: you know, if you were a startup, what would you expect? Right, exactly, exactly. So, what's that big win or something you're really proud of? Uh, so, one of the
2: things I'm really proud of, and I will admit it, you know, happened when I was young and a far more of a risk taker than I am <laughs> now. Uh, so, early days of my career at P and G. This was when we were we were preparing to launch Swiffer Watch, and just for context, we had put it in. Test market, and I'm putting air quotes around that because the test markets were Canada and Belgium, which <laughs> I think of as c- countries. Right, yes. Test yes. markets. Yeah. Um, but they had been in the test market. And so we got approval to launch Swerfer Wetjet on the condition that we delivered twice the volume, twice the revenue that we predicted that we could wow. on half of the marketing dollars that we needed. Wow. And This is obviously a a huge ask. And so we put our heads together and we said, if we have to do twice as well with half as much, we can't follow the playbook. Mm -hmm. And the usual, you know, this product playbook is you launch something, you wait six weeks before you advertise it so that you can make sure it's on all the store shelves. Like, we cannot do that. And so we created a pre-launch plan where we actually started marketing WetJet We got a sponsorship with uh, kind of a home renovation tour. We started doing a lot of PR. We started selling on QVC, which at the time, Mm. Angie never did because of worries about channel conflict. And so we were marketing and selling Wetjet before it was ever available to the general public. So that day one, when it was on the shelf, people were buying it. And that was such a huge shift. For P and G to do that, I nearly got fired once, maybe twice, um, but we did it, and now Watchet is, is still alive and out there and, and doing really well.
1: I just want to pause on what you said because, to me, like if I if I could look away for a moment, and take notes, this is the note I would take, which is if you're going to do more with less, you can't follow the playbook. Like I love that, Robin, because that is so true across everything that we do, and. I think right now in particular, we're living in a time where a lot of us, just because of the last couple of years and all the kind of uncertainty and challenges in the marketplace it's created across a lot of businesses and a lot of people's lives, we're all, a lot of us are being asked to do more with less, but we're trying to follow the old playbook. And then that just leads to burnout and exhaustion. So I love, 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 love the way you said that. I hope everybody, unless you're driving, of course, puts that on the sticky note and puts it up on their desk. And just as a reminder of like, Hey, this is the time to not follow the playbook. Actually, this might be the time you have permission more so than ever before because I do think there's a little bit more awareness now than maybe when you were doing that. The playbook can't be followed. Well, and that's part of the kind of popular conversation now. We've got to
2: rethink this. The playbook doesn't work. So,
1: yeah. So on that note about rethinking, what's a challenge you faced and how have you overcome it? Ah, it's a great question. I think the
2: the biggest challenge actually was in that in that story I just told because it was going against everything PNG had done mm. and just to, to give your listeners a sense of how process oriented PNG is yeah. you know one of my first days at the company our vp you know meeting the vp and he pulled out a binder that was literally 3 inches thick and that was the binder of approved document formats
1: and so you could. I only you're going to create- tell me the document of acronyms because I've seen that oh. one too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's also about three inches thick. And so yeah. to the point that like PG is like, here, here are
2: the only approved formats. So you can imagine saying, we want to sell before we allow Walmart to sell it. We yeah. want to market this before we. It was everything that was PG, every fiber of that company's being was against us. And to the point that I, again, okay, it was a little bit feistier then. Um, went into the VP's office and was like, look, we need $30,000 to pull off this plan. I'll come back in three months and I'll pay you back the 30,000 or I'll quit. Like, there you go. Either way, like we've got to do this. And we actually paid back, he got a 10X return on that. We gave him, you know, $300,000 at the end of those six months. So.
0: You're listening to Conversations with Everyday Innovators on with Tamara Gondor Podcast. Let's take a moment to thank our generous partners that make this possible.
1: I want to take a moment to talk about my friends at Howdy Puppy. Dogs experience all the same problems as humans when it comes to joint pain, anxiety, digestion, and arthritis. A great way to help our four-legged family members with these ailments is with CBD infused pet treats. Who doesn't like treats? As you longtime listeners know, my mastiff Zoe is part of my family, but is getting older and has some anxiety issues when strangers come around. Howdy puppy CBD dog treats has totally changed her disposition. And I know she feels like her young, energetic, confident self when she gets howdy puppy CBD dog treats. There are many CBD infused dog treats on the market but the truth is that many of them are overpriced and ineffective. We've looked at dozens of CBD dog treats and found most of them disappointing. Howdy Puppy is among the best brands in the CBD pet business. They deliver consistent quality and their treats look and taste amazing, according to our dogs, of course. The company makes CBD dog treats in three flavors, steak, bacon, and cheese rolls. All of Howdy Puppy CBD treats contain natural ingredients, including high quality full spectrum hemp oil, all sourced and made in the USA. Full disclosure I am an investor in Howdy Puppy. But before I put my name on the company, I had an independent lab in Denver, Colorado, verify the quality and consistency of their treats. They are truly as advertised. Go online today at howdypuppy.com. Link will also be in the show notes. And use promo code TAMARA, T-A-M-A-R-A, that's me, to get 20% off the absolute best CBD dog treats on the market. You will not be disappointed. Howdypuppy.com, promo code TAMARA. Don't let them suffer needlessly. Let them enjoy life too. When you think about, I want to flip to kind of what you do right now for a second before I kind of dig into my next series of questions. When you think about the importance of innovation and helping your clients innovate right now, what do you think is the narrative around innovation? And where do you think, what do you think people need from you now versus like, you know, the conversation we might have about innovation even five years ago?
2: Mm-hmm. I think the conversation now is first I often start with an acknowledgement that innovation is a buzzword, that we all define yeah. it differently. And honestly, we, we've all seen innovation efforts come and go, and so there is a natural level of skepticism. Yeah, and just calling that out and that diffuses the situation in a lot of ways. You know, you can see people kind of amping up to be cynical or to s- say no, and just say, "Okay, let's just acknowledge this. This is where we're playing. Here's what we're going to do differently." And so I talk about the ABCs of innovation. Know the architecture, the strategy, the processes, the structure, all of that stuff, which is where I think the conversation around innovation focused very heavily and almost exclusively, say, five, ten years ago. But that's just the structure. You need the leadership behavior, and that's the B. And then you have yeah. to acknowledge and build a culture around all of that. And so it's really thinking kind of in this 360-degree way versus – Let's just create an innovation process and magically we'll be innovative.
1: And I, I think too, um, you know, just from our work, as you know, we're all about that kind of human side of innovation. How do we how do we individually innovate? How do we leverage our strengths and our differences? And what I've often found, I've loved your perspective on this, is a company will have the best process in the world or the best initiative, but nobody wants to do it because they don't not only do they not buy into it because of your point, they're like been there, done that. We'll just wait for this to come and go, which is totally valid on their part because this is the 10th initiative they've been through. But but also I think we don't do enough work to help people realize where they fit in and how they contribute and how they add value and make sure that it then trans the whatever the process is, translates in a way that the person in their job, the way they work, not just from their mind, but also their job, can actually participate. And that's, like I said, I love your perspective on this because that's to me where most efforts to have a culture of innovation, whether you're a small or big company, really fall short.
2: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You have to show people where they fit in and where they contribute and also recognize that some people are going to be more eager to contribute and jump into the unknown than others and be okay with that. I think the other thing, and it's a real struggle that I don't think anyone has fully cracked is you know, we're humans. And so we do what we're incentivized to do. Yeah. And so if my bonus, if my promotion, my salary hinges on delivering the next quarter or the next year, I'm going to choose to do that. And something that's going to deliver five years from now, like in my spare time, I'll help, but it's not going to get the yeah. attention. The same, but
1: again, it goes back to like, humanness. And that's why I think um, we need to reward behaviors, not outcomes, because reward behaviors, we'll get more out of them. Um, And I think if we wait for outcomes, to your point, we're incentivized to do the things that are, I mean, it's like NFL coaches, right? You're incentivized and kicked off the team pretty quickly if you don't get to that Super Bowl pretty fast. It's the same kind of thing, right? right? Like nobody has the time to build a team in NFL, right? It's the same thing, I think, um, a little bit in the corporate world. What do you what does it mean to you to be an everyday innovator? It means carving
2: out, and I don't like that phrase because then it feels like, oh, it's this thing I have to add to my to-do list, but it can just be a pause of you know what's new? Do something different. And because a lot of times yeah. what gets in the way of people innovating is like we're scared of change. It yeah. feels weird when something changes. So finding a way to inject little nuggets of change into your day kind of makes you more comfortable with the change. So, you know, if you usually kind of do all your stuff in the bathroom, getting ready, and then you get dressed, maybe shower, get dressed, then do your makeup. Like Mm. little, finding little tiny changes that you can make every day just starts building that muscle of thinking differently and, and not kind of, you know, worst case scenarioing Every single change.
1: Will you give me some examples of some little changes I could make, or you've made out in your work that have helped you get to those bigger changes you're trying to make happen for yourself or for your team? Yeah, it's um, so many little changes. I, you know, one is I'm constantly
2: futzing and changing up, you know, what's on my desk, and just changing that around, All even done. if it's the yeah. same things, different places, because it's just kind of this little ooh during the day. Oh yeah. I'd forgotten about that. Um, So just changing up your environment, your desk, you you know, something as simple as that. Um, Another thing I do is I, I'm so have a tendency, like a lot of folks to when I'm asked a question to offer an answer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like what we're doing. And especially when I'm in conversation with clients, but even back when I was at P&G is to seek to understand the question. So ask a question about the question. Not, you know, sometimes you can tell people are doing this in kind of a smarmy, weaponized way, but really kind of get curious about, oh, you asked for the NPV. All right, help me understand how you're going to use that. Because just like customers, just like consumers, maybe what people are asking for actually isn't the best tool to get the result they want. So learning to not default to an answer, but to ask a question first. And so just gonna kind of literally, you know, there are times I keep a little tally of like, okay, they asked a question. How many questions did I ask? Just kind of keeping a little tally to make sure that I'm still being inquisitive.
1: And don't you find that it's almost one of the, as humans, excuse me, it's almost one of the hardest things you can do is not jump in with a solution or an answer. I think it is like, beat into us since we're little kids that like you have to have the answer and then you know Mm -hmm. in education then you go into work and you need to look smart and you need to know what you're doing and at first you do it because you're young and you want to make a name for yourself and then you do it because you're a leader and you're supposed to have all the answers and so it's just like how do you do that how do you make sure that you're pausing or are there specific questions that you know you can ask even when you don't know what to ask just to, to make sure that you're digging, because I'm totally with you. If you're out there listening, I want you to know one thing. If nothing else, you don't get the whole story in the first thing they ask you. No. You get the whole story when you ask them why they're asking, right? So, yes. yeah. So I guess there's two questions in there. One is like, what do you do to make sure you don't fall into that habit of just jumping to solution or answer? And two, what are your go-to questions that make sure, even when you don't know what to do? So to be very clear, I am
2: terrible at not defaulting to an answer. It is something I have to like consciously it's hard. work. It's so incredibly yeah. hard. So to be very clear, like I probably 95% of the time give an answer, but I'm working on it. I'm working on it. <laughs> so it's muscle building. My, my default when I can't come up with a question, when it doesn't initially strike me is tell me more.
1: Ah, it's my favorite phrase in the world. Yeah.
2: Tell me more. Okay. I I hear you're asking for, for a five year MPB. Tell me a little bit more. And just stopping there, which is also I really hard because we always want, tell me more because this, and do you want this? And we start, we make it a multiple choice question. And, and then people, we're forcing them into a, a
1: channel. Right. Which may not yeah. be what they would actually answer. Just tell me more and then stop. So a couple of things I just want to say on that, Rob. you were speaking my language. So I you know, do a lot of, like you, I'm sure do a lot of keynote speaking. And one of the stories I tell is about, is exactly that, how I said, ask, tell me more because I didn't have an answer. I was in flight or fight, or freeze, or all the above. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know what to do, and I was scrambling. The person asked me a challenging question, and so I said, that's an interesting question. Tell me more. And that got to the heart of why she was skeptical, what she was really trying to get at, right? It it sparked a conversation that would have never happened if I had jumped to the answer. Now, in all fairness, I did it because I didn't have an answer, and I was panicked. But I learned something really valuable that day about tell me more. And it's funny because every time I keynote, no matter how many tools and Brilliant thoughts of wisdom I give. That's the tool that people love the most. Is just those yeah. three words together. So I love, um, I love that you said that. And the other thing I'll just add to that is the silence will fill silence. We we mm-hmm. don't humans don't actually like silence most of the time. So if you stop, they will fill in the void, which is what you want. Um, so let me ask you, kind of just going back down the path of everyday innovators. I mean, you've kind of gave us a few good nuggets already. I'd love some more. What do you do to stay innovative in everything in in your daily life and everything that you do?
2: The key is curiosity, I think. So, I think like a lot of us, I subscribe to tons of email newsletters and stuff like that. And so, I always at least scroll through. And if something piques my interest, even if I have no idea the relevance, I'll read it. So, it's a lot of it's following my curiosity. I was on a call earlier today with a friend of mine and you know, where my computer set up, I look out a window and the poor woman was trying to talk to me and I'm like, what, you know, looking out the window, <laughs> not paying. Out, I'm like, there's something going on outside yeah. of my street. that's that's not normal. And so it's allowing my curiosity to kind of come to the forefront and to follow it. Cause I think, you know, I remember growing up with Curious George and how curiosity was kind of defined as a bad thing. Like curiosity is going to get yeah, you that's in like trouble. Yeah, like the worst
1: book ever in my book. <laughs> but yeah. And yeah,
2: where it's like, no, that's that's going to yeah. lead you to the new places and the surprising findings. And so following that curiosity, whether it's an article, whether it's a random TV show, whether it's staring out the window watching your neighbors do something strange.
1: Uh, what I really like about what you're saying, if I hear you right, is... It's about curiosity without an intended outcome. I think all too mm-hmm. often we try to try to know what we're looking for before we start looking. And I think that's, that's just the But what I hear you saying is just like, if it makes you go, huh, <laughs> look into it for a moment, it may lead yeah. to nothing, but it also may lead to something. And I'm so with you about curious George and the whole phrase curiosity yeah. killed the cat. That always oh, bothered yeah. me as a kid. I was like, why, why? I don't understand. Right. But can we follow up with the cat has nine lives? So what are, Remember, it lost one. It's still got eight. Like keep being curious. Right? That's, like, that's what I was like. It's still nine. It's more than I have. Yeah, what advice do you have for people who they're saying, maybe they're thinking, all right, Robin, I love this. You're right. I need to be more curious. I need to just go down some rabbit holes, but um, I could also get in trouble for not look like I'm being productive and working. And in fact, I just, I bring this up because I did have a client once who we were talking about the power of doodling. Because doodling really does open your brain, it helps you focus, makes you just see things differently. Doodling is amazing. But her boss walked into her office behind her and um, got on her for doodling. And she had to have a whole conversation about how actually like all these things, she had to justify doodling for five minutes. I mean, she's not in there watching Netflix all day, right? She was just doodling. But I think that happens to a lot of us. So what advice do you have for the people out there who are thinking, yeah, I, I want to be more curious and follow some rabbit holes, but how do I balance that with what's your to-do list?
2: Mm, yeah, it's it's attention. And so you can say on one hand, you know, you don't have to go down a rabbit hole for a long time. It can be 30 seconds. It can be on the weekend. It can be in the evening. So you, you can do all of those things and kind of make it, fit into your schedule of, you know, kind of work with your to-do list. The other thing is, you know, like the woman you just described, you may have to educate someone else as to why what you're doing is productive. I um, have a great friend who, you know, she uses art and kind of visual thinking strategies to help open up and help people question. And she always says to them, thinking is doing and just cuz you're not being active and being loud it doesn't mean you're not doing something and so you may have to be that educator for the people around you of no thinking is doing doodling is making progress
1: we don't give ourselves enough time to think because we have to kind of physically show solution action checking off the checklist like it's a it's a, di- it's a different mindset to bring that like hey you know spending an afternoon just thinking is actually great and actually makes you, I'd say, more productive on the back end. Yes. Um, I, I'm curious because you are such an innovative person. Like it's, you know, like me, right? You're steeped in this world. Like our job is to think differently all day, every day. And in some ways, I think that makes it easier because we've really built the muscle. And, you know, it for those on the podcast who know, I mean, I believe everybody's an innovator. They just have to figure out how to do it or maybe unlearn a few things to get there. It's a muscle and you're either weak at it or you're strong. It's not a matter of do you have it or don't. But for people like us, right, people often look at us and go, oh, my gosh, like you're so innovative and you are. But it's because it's you go to the gym of innovation every single day, right, all day. But even people like us get stuck sometimes or feel in a rut. What do you do, Robin, when you feel like it's, the sparks are not happening? What do you do to get out of that? I read a novel. And the reason I do that is that,
2: it, like, that is the place I can go. It's always been books and fiction for me where I get re-energized and where my mm-hmm. brain starts, you know, working on the plot and the characters. And so I've just learned over time, like that this is where I go to essentially enter another world and, you know, get out of the rut, stop my brain from like churning on the problems and, and the stuff where it's stuck and just completely go somewhere mm-hmm. else. And that act of entering another world for me is rejuvenating. It helps me kind of get my breath back. For other folks, you know, it's playing a video game. It's going on a walk, but like, what is that thing where, you know, you just do a little bit of it and suddenly you feel like you can breathe again. Like you feel like a weight has been lifted and you're opened up. That's
1: how you get back to it. So mine, I'll, I'll, I'm going to, it's funny, the two things that came into my head, I just have to share them with you. Cause I'm just, well, there's a, there's a bunch of stuff like, and I think Overarching walking away from what you're stuck on actually is one of the most helpful things you can do overall. But for me, it's cleaning. Good mm-hmm. Lord, do I love a good clean counter? It just makes me so happy. Like the act of cleaning just does it for me. And don't laugh, but watching Arrested Development on Netflix, I can't get enough of it. Like, it's I've seen it a hundred times. It's not that I don't know even like half the lines, but it just puts me in a good mood. So I know that if I watch fifteen minutes of Arrested Development, that I will then be able to go back. It's the oddest thing I know, but like to your point about yeah. a novel, maybe it's just getting lost. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's such a great show, but it is. It's finding
2: something that gets you out of it and makes you happy. And there's, I'm sure there's tons of neuroscience and all sorts of other sciences, you know, what that does to your brain and the
1: chemicals in your body. So yeah, it's getting away and being happy. What is your advice for, as an instinctual inquisitive, what's your advice to other everyday innovators out there of all types who are looking to really dial up that innovator inside themselves, what I think you really have through your whole career? Obviously I'm biased. So I say, ask questions. Or
2: at the very least, build a muscle up. They're so powerful saying, though. Saying, tell me more. Just yeah. ask questions. The other thing, and you hit on this very early on when you're talking about empathy. And I think empathy is so powerful. It, it is a superpower. If yeah. you can sit down with somebody and really listen and understand them and have empathy, because then you'll just, you'll be able to work with them problem solve with them. And I, I think innovation is all about problem solving. And so with empathy, you'll how, be able to do that in a way that means something.
1: How do you, maybe you don't suffer from this. Maybe I'm just speaking for myself. Um, I, I try to be really um, dialed into empathy. And and I think, you know, I've got fortune. I've traveled the world since I was a little kid. My parents gave us the gift of kind of global travel. And I think that helped because you really do see people who live very differently than you do. And it's not weird. It's just truly, it's just different than what you're used to. Um But sometimes when I'm listening to people, the little judgmental voice comes in of like, that's a stupid idea. Well, that person's an idiot. What the fuck are they thinking? Like it, it gets yeah. dark in my head. So yep. what d- maybe you, you don't have it. Maybe you do, but okay. So what do I you have do it. to make or, okay, I think I think it's human nature, <clears throat> like I really do, but what do you do to make sure that voice isn't the voice taking over? Because I, I think active listening and empathy is one of those things that we all know we want to be better at, but it's hard because there's that little voice in your head that's like, wah, 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 the whole time. Mm-hmm. What I
2: do is honestly going into, I, I think customer interviews are the best example of this, but I do this in yeah. meetings as well is right before I just told myself the person I'm talking to is the most interesting person in the world mm. for this hour or this half hour. Like, no matter what happens for this period of time, there's no one in the world more interesting than this person. And that phrase just kind of comes back to me when my, you know, little judge pops up and I'm like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. It's like, <laughs> no, no, no. They're interesting. Find out why mm. they think something stupid. Like, and so it just kind of, puts me in that mindset of being really inquisitive and less judgy than I might normally be.
1: I love it. And you know, it's, I feel like you're in my head Robin, because that is exactly <laughs> what I do before I get on these interviews. And I never expect to not love the interview ever, <laughs> but I, I'm always reminding myself like whoever this person is. And and I've had some interviews where the people definitely come from a, like you and I are clearly in alignment. We kind of cut from the same cloth, right. But I've, I've interviewed a lot of people who are, in no way coming from the same place that I am. And I have had to just remind myself, there's a reason they think this. So let's understand the reason and not worry about kind of what that is. But kind of what you said is so important for all of us to hear of like, hey, go into the conversation with that mindset of, this is going to be interesting. They're interesting. And that's what you'll find, right? Your brain will validate what you're trying to do and that'll work. Um, Robin, this has been phenomenal. I can't believe we're out of time. Oh what is, I'm going to ask you one last personal question, which is what's one thing we'd be surprised to learn about you? And I'm hoping it's something about Legos in the back, but we might have to talk about oh. that offline. I was going to say, yeah, big Lego
2: fan. The yeah. other, inter- and this is like late breaking, breaking news. Interesting thing is I am in the baseball hall of fame in Cooperstown, New York. What? <laughs> I know.
1: Tell just, me more.
2: <laughs> so, um, in undergrad, my senior year at Miami of Ohio, I wrote uh, my thesis on marketing baseball after the '94 player strike, mm-hmm. and wrote the thesis. A couple years later, it got sent to the University of Oregon, and I was trying to find a copy of it, and it popped up that it is available at the library
1: in Cooperstown. So I'm like, I guess that makes me a Hall of Famer now. It does. Congratulations. <laughs> What made you, just out of curiosity, what made you decide to write your thesis on that? That's an interesting niche to pick. So I'm a huge baseball
2: fan. I grew up in Cleveland. I'm a big, well, now Cleveland Guardians fan. And uh, the 94 player strike was a huge, huge moment in baseball because the World Series was canceled. And seeing how baseball struggled to come back and how some teams did better than others. And I was a marketing major,
1: undergrad, so I was like, I want to study that. That's very cool. Well, Robin, thank you so much. I feel like you've really given us some things to think about, not just for culture and driving innovation from kind of that process level, but really from that personal level too, where I think is where a lot of that change starts. It does start there. So thank you. Thank you. This was so much fun.
0: Congratulations. By listening to this podcast, you took another step towards becoming an everyday innovator. To leap forward, visit www.gotolaunchstreet.com and take the Innovation Quotient Edge Assessment to discover your unique everyday innovator style and access the Everyday Innovator Digital Magazine for the top tools, insights, and inspiration at your fingertips 24-7. Tomorrow, we'll be back with another Everyday Innovator conversation Soon. In the meantime, if you got a nugget of value out of this podcast, let Tamara know by leaving a five-star review and comment. Your review equals more guests, more listens, bigger impact. Until next time.